Alice, we're here. We're here. <laughs> and welcome, listener, to the 13th Floor Podcast. I'm Cece. I'm Alex. I'm James. And today we're here to talk about some of the world's most dangerous animals. Hmm. Yeah. scare you all. <laughs> <laughs> James, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you guys? We're doing well. Alex started a new job today, so he's tired. I'm mm-hmm. tired because I got up at 5.30 this morning to go grab a charge a jump box that I left outside. And Cece's like, I think it's about to storm. Yeah. Did you leave that outside? I was like, oh no. I woke up. I woke up to thunder and I remembered that Alex had left this jump starter for our lawnmower, our Either. riding mower, <sighs> outside. And I woke up and for some reason, that's the fr- I feel like... God woke me up at that specific moment, Alex, so that I could ask you specifically. Mm, yeah, he was very concerned about our jump pot. He yeah. was. It's a very important piece of technology. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I think the box is actually made, like, it's, like, weatherproof. Because yeah, the but- whole point is, like, you can use it, like, in the rain when your car's dead and you're, like, miserable. This is the thing. Alex mowed the yard, like, five days ago. Mm. So it's been sitting outside for five days. Yeah. And then oh, for some you? reason, five o'clock in the morning hits, and I'm just like, oh, the jump box. Anyways, enough about our, our jump box. Unless we, we can, right, dear listener, if you like a jump box talk, let us know. Maybe we can start a podcast on it. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have a spinoff called Jump Box Talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, James, have any exciting life events occurred for you lately since we last spoke? Uh, really, I've just been working on InventorCon. Uh, Actually, when this episode airs, I will be hosting at InventorCon. It's May 6th, 7th, and 8th. Look up InventorCon. Go to InventorCon.com. Attend. Attend, Attend. you guys. InventorCon. It's happening today. So keep in mind. Yeah, you'll have to. You said InventorCon. It's (laughs) InventorCon. There you go. James, listen. Listen. Don't get all hickledy-pickledy with me, okay? Uh, I'm trying to help you. (laughs) With false information. (laughs) James, one thing that I want to talk about is that you let Noir's Molt just sit in her cage <laughs> for a very long time. Oh, man. And it upset me. Uh, it really upset me. Yeah, last time we recorded, the next morning, she was uh, molted. And, yeah, she was just very protective of it. Like, uh, I mean, she would, like, gnaw on it and stand on it. And if I tried to go near it, she would leap on it. <laughs> it was very weird. You should have just gotten a pair of kitchen tongs. Well, ultimately, that's what I did is I got some tongs and got it out. Do you yeah. cook with those tongs? I do not. They are just for crickets and molts and stuff. Oh. Okay. Just for crickets and molts, okay? Everybody needs not to have a crout. pair of tongs at their house for crickets and molts. Yeah, if you don't have cricket tongs, what are you even doing with your life? Exactly. <laughs> so, you guys, I think it's time to talk about some things, all right? Today, I do. I want to give a shout out to someone special because... Oh. Somebody left us a really sweet review on Apple Podcasts, and oh. David L., he wrote of our podcast, quote, One of my favorites, and I can count my favorites on one hand. The hosts do a great job of researching bizarre things and delivering what they find wonderfully and humorously. Most podcast hosts fail miserably when they try to talk, but these three do it exactly right. Well worth your time to take a listen, and for that matter, binge this one. So I just want to thank David because you seriously made my week with this review. So thank you for being so kind to us. 
I don't think that most people realize how much work actually goes into the podcast. So when we get reviews like this, it really is like it's a, a very big pick me up. Yeah, no, that is terrific. Yeah, we, we spend a lot of time researching, recording, editing this podcast. And so the primary reason that we've actually continued for so long is because we've been able to meet so many great people through the podcast and to be able to talk to listeners and kind of make friends from all around the globe has just been really exciting. Yeah. So and it's, it's, it's doubly wonderful when we get a fellow podcaster um, for anybody uh, curious about his material, check out the murder police podcast. It's a super awesome podcast and he and his wife host it. And it's, it's absolutely terrific. Highly recommend it. Murderpolicepodcast.com. They have a YouTube channel. Just seek them out. It's awesome stuff. Yeah, go find it. But very cool. Yeah. So we've we've got a Patreon, as we've mentioned before, and it's not even really about the money for our Patreon. What would really help us the most is if you guys just tell your friends about our show or leave us a review. Like you don't have to pay for anything. We've yeah. got it there in case you want it. But yeah. if you really, want a little extra content, you want to help us, just pay for our expenses. Yeah. I mean, that's really what Patri- our Patreon is, is just to kind of cover some of our expenses for podcast hosting and stuff like that, yeah. our website. So anyways, I just want to thank David for that. And also, I have another shout out today to a listener named Natalie L, who reached out on Instagram, and she recently listened to our Charles Manson episode. And in that episode, I asked specifically for jokes from people, and so she wanted to send in her joke. So I want to tell it to you guys, get your opinion, Okay. <laughs> So, how do you cook toilet paper? How? <laughs> do you want to try and guess, Alex? Uh, roll done. Over teepee? That's, you know what, those are good guesses, but the answer is brown it on one side and throw it in the pot. Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. Oh, man. You know, it'd be a good That's intro nice. for a Patreon since, <laughs> since we're asking people for money. It should be us like rattling a little change jar, like. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Oh, that was a good joke. Yeah, thank it was you. a good thank joke. Thank you for submitting a joke. Yeah, thank you, Natalie. Oh, if anybody else wants to send any jokes. <laughs> oh, J- yeah, James, I'm thinking Natalie. My apologies. I am conceited. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> So anyways, uh, special thanks to everybody who's kind of submitted and reached out this week. And also, we want to give our hearty hellos. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this week, we want to give a major shout out to Greece. Hey. And I will, yeah, I want to come visit you, Greece. And whenever I make it out there, I'll let you know when I'm headed that way so you can tell me the best places to eat because I want to eat local when I'm in Greece. Yeah. Greece is the word. Greece is the word. And then we also want to give a shout out to the to the Philippines. <laughs> the Ooh. beautiful, stunning Philippines. And then here in the US of A, we want to give a major shout out to Missouri because Missouri has taken off like the wind with their listens cool. for the month of May. Oh. So Did we shout out Philippines last week too? Did we? If I don't we think did. So. Look at you, Philippines. You got double. You got if double. You, hey, if you did, consider yourself lucky. Well, you're just loved. That's really what it comes down to. <laughs> so wherever you're listening in the world, hello, hello, hello. And thank you for tuning in. You guys, what's our icebreaker today? If you could be any animal. No. Um, <laughs> let's see. What would be a fun icebreaker for our deadly animal episode? Hmm. 
What would you rather be killed by? Yeah. <laughs> okay, actually, legit. Um, what animal scares you the most? Ooh. Animal. Not not an insect, an animal. An animal? Uh, insects are animals. <laughs> uh, you tell that. They seem more like demons to me. Uh, <laughs> I. <laughs> Disapproval. Alex, you go first. You go first. Um, man. Man, oh man. <laughs> it's the only one that continuously disappoint me. Oh my goodness. <laughs> All right, so Alex's answer is man. I, you know, the the one that I mean other than snakes, snakes horrify me. Mm. But I feel like I talk about that a lot on here. Everybody already knows I'm scared of snakes. Mm. So other than snakes, I want to say it's those um those bugs that get in your house that have all of the legs and they're like very pointy. House centipedes. Like the house, yeah, house centipedes. Mm. Those things horrify me. When I grew up, my childhood home, we had them everywhere in my childhood home. And Mm. I remember I was taking a shower once when I was very young and one fell off the ceiling onto me. And ever since then, I cannot do those bugs. (laughs) Yeah, abolish house centipedes. Well, you can't, (laughs) and you also can't catch and release them because they're so big. Every time I've seen one, it's like, the size of my foot, yeah. and I'm like, no. oh please, you must have the smallest feet. I'll say that. I'll say the width of my foot. Okay. That's more accurate, right? Sure. The width mm-hmm. of my foot. So, anyways, house centipedes, y'all can just you know what? go to hell. Alligators are pretty terrifying because they get you in that death roll. <clears throat> yeah, I'm gonna oh. talk about some death rolls a bit, a little bit later. Oh, <laughs> James, you are an animal lover. Yep. So what? animal actually scares you know it's funny i had a very short conversation like a crazy person with a house centipede today they actually they kind of creep me out but i've saw one today and i've had drain fly problems lately because of the heavy rains and i was like look i usually get rid of you guys but you can stay if you eat as much of them as possible motioning (laughs) to the drain flies so i got one that's totally allowed um that being said, uh, even though I love most animals, and, and I don't, I don't d- dislike, I would say, wasps, but yellow jackets and red wasps, best bids, they, they do creep me out. Like if one's nearby, you know, that there's that buzz close to your ears. Like it does, yeah. I immediately duck and make whimpering noises. <laughs> you know? Settling. You know, I actually, I had a feeling you would say a wasp for some reason. Yeah, James, I just know you so well. I've seen people on YouTube, though, they train wasps. They get the queen used to them. And because she's calm, the rest are calm. And, like, they just let them walk on their hands. And I kind of want to do that someday. Well, that's how you can overcome your fear, but also get stung by a million wasps. And let us know on the podcast when you're getting ready to do that, so that way we don't have to explain it to everybody the next episode. (laughs) 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 I was going to say we could record it for our Patreon, but that would be (laughs) awful, James. YouTube would take that down if it went the wrong way. Kind of in poor taste, yeah. Yeah, don't, James, just don't do it. I can imagine, you know, those clickbait YouTube channels? <laughs> she would just literally be my corpse and, and like surprise emojis and just, James is dead, killed by wasps. Oh my God. <laughs> it was in his last will and testament. You have to let him do it, you too. Yeah. Oh, Open parentheses, God. emotional, close parentheses. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, James, I hope that that never happens for you. No offense. Like, I want all the best for you, James, but that in my heart and soul doesn't feel like it's the best for you. I agree. Um, Murdered by Wash, not on my list. (laughs) No. Who are you to make that decision? I'm here. (laughs) And I'm there. Okay, so you guys, I think it's time to talk about dangerous animals. And thanks again to Rock and Rick for submitting this topic. Yeah. We're going to let Alex go first because he won in our rock, paper, scissors competition before we started recording <laughs> to go first. So Alex, what are you talking about today? Yeah. So the big one I wanted to focus on today, I'm going to talk about two, but the big one is something that should terrify and shake everyone's core. <laughs> the hippo. The hippie? The hippo. Oh, the hippo. Yeah. It, it, I don't think many people realize that this adorable animal is like super dangerous. Yeah. Like it's my favorite animal. It's my it's, favorite animal. Me James. too. What? I like I oh like how gosh. I'm sorry, Alex. I'm just I'm just going to put this out there that Alex's favorite animal was not the hippo until he started dating me. Uh, Anyways, yeah. go on, go on. Um so yeah, the hippo. How is it something that hibernates in the water all day, just chills? Doesn't do anything so dangerous to make it into this episode. So dangerous, in fact, that it killed about 500 people in Africa last year. That's a lot of people. 500. Mm -hmm. I don't like that number. That's killed. That's not even including the injured. (laughs) Which is much, much more. (laughs) For for instance, there's a lake with a lot of fishermen in it. 40 of them were attacked by hippos. 14 of those died. So if, if you want a reference for how many people are that's, injured by these. That's bad. Because num- numbers in that area are pretty iffy. Yeah. Um, re- records aren't exactly accurate. So that's kind of what we'll go off of to determine that number. So what is the deal? Like These are pretty docile creatures overall. They, you know, they're not typically aggressive. Heck, like seeing this many deaths, you might think that these are carnivores. Which, I don't know if many people think that. Some, I don't know if people think that these eat fish or what they eat. James set us straight on that when <clears throat> we talked about hippos previously. Yeah, but these are, you know, they eat grass. And then they might get a little blood That's- in their mouth from the human, and then they're like, you know what? Maybe I'll take <laughs> yeah. a chomp. Yeah, now, they are known to, if there's not enough grass, eat meat, or even the carcasses of, like, their dead fellow hippos. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But typically... Grass. <laughs> Grass, okay. so, so, so these are like four-ton trucks that run 20 miles an hour and, like, when they really get moving. Now, typically, the males are triggered when something enters their territory, like yep. you kind of expect of any animal. And the females seem to get angry whenever it's like regarding their young. Yeah, when it's near their little baby. So pretty, pretty normal behavior. Yeah. But... One thing you definitely don't want to do if you're there and you see a hippo is get between the hippo and the water. Because apparently this makes them very angry. <laughs> Man. They, they don't like they don't like having anything in between them and the water. It's their water. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess they see it as you I mean that's still a territorial thing, you're but encroaching. that seems like a yeah, like you, you're ruining my view. I'm going to murder you. It's a major <laughs> faux pas. <laughs> it's a hippo faux pas. Yeah. It's funny how many male animals do that. They have territory, they have a harem. And if you step in it, even if you're not a male of the same species, you could be anything bigger than a bread box. And it's just like, uh uh-uh. uh, I'm going to tear you up. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> Come over here, turtle. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> so how would you all assume hippos typically kill people? Um, I'm going to ask you, Cece, first, because well, James already knows. They only <laughs> have those little tiny stubby teeth, I think. They don't have they don't have raptor. You just keep going. Uh, I'm not going to correct. I you think until... that they <laughs> lay on you or step on lay you with on their you. big. <laughs> they just walk up like yeah, fall over on yeah, you. Yeah, just fall on you. No, I think they stampede you. That mm-hmm. would be my guess. Yeah, and I'm not going to ask James because he probably already knows. Because <laughs> I would have assumed because of their size, like you did, that they would trample, like just Stamping. their sheer mass, just knocking someone over and stepping on them. I just done. Said, Stomple. Stomple. <laughs> stomple. Yeah, they'll, they'll stomple all over you. Well, I would have been wrong. Do they bite you? They chomp down with mm-hmm. their mouths that can open like at almost 180 degrees. Oh, yeah. They can open those? their mouths really right? big. But they bite and their, strength, their mouth strength is 10 times that of ours. Dang. And their lower canines can grow to be over half a foot long. What? And something else about them, their other teeth on the top sharpen their bottom teeth. Okay. To make them even more lethal. That's terrifying. Yes. And being herbivores, that means that these teeth are for one thing and one thing only. Defense. Yep. Offense. I mean, offense. Offense. (laughs) Yeah. Look up up Hippo's skull. I mean, it's basically a dinosaur skull. I'm looking at it. Yeah. Like, I didn't realize that their teeth were so sharp. But when I was looking at some pictures, I was like, oh, yeah, they do have a cut. They have, like, two really sharp teeth on the bottom, especially. Yeah. Cece's looking at, look at that thing. I would have never thought that that was a hippo. I would have thought that that was, like. But see see the bottom, those bottom ones that are, like, almost tusk-ish? It looks like a dead claw skull from, like, Fallout. Yeah. That's what it looks like. They, they They get sharpened by the top teeth. When they go down. When I think of hippo teeth, I think of the hippo teeth from like my stuffed animal where it's just like a little square, a little nice little square. Mm-hmm. That yeah. is not a square I know. tooth. I picture the square tooth for some reason. I think it's from every TV show we ever watch. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's from all the children's TV shows that don't want to scare children. From Gloria on uh, one of my favorite movies, Madagascar. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, these mouths are made for like destruction. Yikes. Uh, and if them. I like them too. <laughs> I like them chunky. (laughs) (laughs) If them charging and biting you isn't scary enough, oftentimes you can be fishing and they'll sneak up on you because they can hold their breath underwater for five minutes. They can hold their breath for a long time. These big chunky boys (laughs) can be... I mean, like the water in these areas isn't like crystal clear. So when they go under, you're not really going to see them very well. You see their little ears pop up and then go... Yeah, those little cute ears... Oh. See, the thing is, they're so cute. Yeah. How yep. could they be so horrible? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's easy to lose track of these, like, giant mammals, especially when the water levels are pretty high. And last year in Kenya, there was this a big human-hippo conflict because they had really high water levels. And because of uh, COVID last year, apparently Kenya has, like, this booming relative industry of exporting flowers. Oh, flowers. But because of the floods, they ruined some of the tents. And because it was 2020 last year, no one was really buying flowers like they usually do. Mm-hmm. So everyone flooded the fishing scene. And there was huh. a lot of people fishing. Now, the other problem with the flooding means the hippo's territory expanded. It, it's bigger. It's bigger because of the flooding. And the flooding went into their their villages and stuff. So you have more people fishing. You have all these hippos going into their areas 
And so it just led to a lot of incidents. Man. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's usually about around 500, but Kenya was really hit hard. We've got a lot of listeners in Kenya. So yeah. if anybody in Kenya has experienced a hippo. Oof, I'm sorry. Yeah. But that'll bring me to the other one. The other one. What's your other, what's your other short animal? Short but sweet. The blue ringed octopus. You know, James suggested I do the blue ringed octopus, so how dare you steal this and from me? I didn't know that you did that, and so this was a beautiful coincidence. <laughs> um, so I didn't even know this thing existed. Uh, it was described as being small, the small little octopus that is about the size of a pencil, is what they were just saying. I think it's a little bigger than that from what I was looking at, but he's this little guy, mm-hmm. uh, this little beautiful octopi. <laughs> but he has this defense mechanism. They, you know, most of them do. Most of them shoot ink out. This one has a tetradoxin, tetrodotoxin. There you go. A poison that paralyzes its victims while leaving them completely conscious. Do you remember, Alex, uh, from our our show where we referenced tetrodotoxin? I I know we've said it before. It is the active ingredient in zombie powder. Oh wow, man! That's a that's a it's a real throwback, huh? Deep cut, man. Man. But yeah, so the the tetrodotoxin, it you know you're you're still awake even though your body is pretty much shutting down. Like the only way for you to survive if you get this dose from this thing is for you to have CPR done for twenty four hours. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Otherwise, you're done for because there are there's no known known cure, and you just have to let it leave your system naturally. Where do these horrid <laughs> octopuses live? Uh, some of them live over near Japan, all the way down to Australia. No, and I'll never. They're u- they're usually pretty deep. I think I saw 160 feet, four feet deep. Well, or I'm so. not going to go that. But there are three deaths from this thing, and they were in shallow pools. Or they had shown up. Yeah, so apparently this thing, one of these things, has enough toxin in it to kill 26 people. Nice. One. One. And it's not just like squirting it at you. This thing can grab you, pierce your skin, and inject it into you. Why would it do that? Yeah. Why would it be so angry? <laughs> and and it's, it's, the thing is, like, it's this beautiful little octopus. It's gorgeous. But, and it becomes like, its blue rings become iridescent when it's terrified of you and is about to kill you. So so if you're looking at it and it starts to turn blue, that's when you need to get the heck out of there, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. When you're like, oh, that thing's pretty, it's time to leave. Yeah. In, <laughs> in, in general, if something's flashy and showy in nature, it's aposomatism. It's telling you, I'm dangerous. You need to leave. What happened to humans to lose this? Because we probably see something flash and we go, oh. Right? It's so so weird that we do that. Yeah. I don't really know, frankly, like what our deal is. (laughs) We we completely lost that part of our Yeah. Like look at poison dart frogs. Like I want to lick poison dart frogs. They look delicious. They look like candy. (laughs) I think I might have Pika syndrome. I I talk about this a lot wanting to eat inanimate things. (laughs) Are frogs inanimate? Oh, well, that's a good point. <laughs> well, James, let me know next time you go to the Newport Aquarium. I'll go. We can take a look at the, the tree frogs. Mm-hmm. I won't let you lick one, but we can look at them together. Fun fact, poison dart frogs in captivity are not poisonous. 
because they get their poison from eating ants that are poisonous. Oh, very interesting. James is just so full of fun So facts. that's like the flamingos that turn pink. Yeah. Okay, very cool. Well, Alex, thank you for telling us about the hippo and the octopus that's got the blue rings. James, you were second winner in our... Um, Actually, he was first scissors. winner. He just wanted to go second. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, you're right, James. You chose to go second. Yep. How about you go now? It's your turn. Okay. And you know, there's actually going to be a change-up. Um, sorry, all you polar bear fans. I was going to talk about black mambas and polar bears, but I changed my mind at the last minute because while Alex was talking, I was like, oh, my God, nobody is talking about what I'm about to talk about, a.k.a. Oh, my gosh. Carcarinus Lucas, a.k.a. the Zambisi shark, a.k.a. the bull shark. So, oh, my heavens. The <laughs> only, only thing I know about the bull shark was from this wonderful Discovery Channel episode back when they were good with I, Shark Week. I forgot mm-hmm. you were a Shark Week fiend. Oh, I was a Shark Week fanatic Me before I started doing fiction on there. But, uh, James, tell us about the bull shark. Yeah, well, here's the thing about bull sharks, and this is what made me think of it, was Alex was talking about territorial males in uh, hippos and bull sharks have a similar quality to them. So the little backstory when it comes to shark attacks, one, and I know that you've all probably heard this if you've watched Shark Week, but sharks are much more threatened by humans than the other way around. They, ever since Jaws came out, they, and a number of other forms of pop culture, they've been hunted down, they've been feared, and they are nowhere near as dangerous to human beings as we are to them. That being said, the three sharks <laughs> that human beings kind of sort of have to worry about in order from least dangerous to most dangerous, number three would be the great white. People, a lot of people think it's number one. Here's the thing about great whites. They eat seals. Human beings on surfboards resemble seals. From below, a, a shark, a great white in particular, might see a human being and think it's a seal, and they'll take a little nibble just to see. And they usually will not continue to attack a person after they have that little nibble and realize you're not a seal. The problem <laughs> is that a little nibble for a great white usually means losing a limb, and losing a limb out in the water usually means bleeding to death. So that's where mortality from great whites tend to come from. Additionally, Tiger sharks are much more inclined to engage in hunting behavior of humans. That would be the number two on my list. Tiger sharks do occasionally hunt human beings and eat them. Number one, though, is bull sharks. And they take it to a whole other level because it's not a mistaken identity and it's not wanting food. Bull sharks kill people because F people. That's seriously the reason <laughs> they. I have a, huh? a wow. friend who was actually bitten by a bull shark and survived. Wow! Oh my goodness! Yeah, that is remarkable. Yep. Oh yeah. man! Happened in the Florida Keys. Florida Keys. Well, see, that's another thing about bull sharks is uh, they can bite you a lot more places too. So here's the thing about bull sharks: they are technically considered saltwater sharks, but they don't have to just be in saltwater. They can absolutely deal with brackish water and fresh water. They have been seen as high up the Mississippi River as out in Illinois. Seven hundred exactly seven hundred miles from the ocean, despite being considered an ocean shark. So that's scary (laughs) in and of itself. Like I remember when I was a kid, I was scared of swimming pools for a brief stint after watching Jaws, even though I knew that there's no way a shark was in the pool. Well, in this case, a bull shark might be in the river. 
So that's scary. Dang. Um, but the thing that's really disturbing about bull sharks, and again, I love bull sharks. I don't believe people should hurt bull sharks. I don't think people should go out of the way to cause problems for bull sharks. However, here's the thing about bull sharks. They have some of the highest testosterone of any other male animal. If you've ever seen what happens with elephants, which we'll totally do an episode on in the future along with polar bears, but if you've seen elephants going into, uh, oh shoot, what's that called? Musk? Must. That's right. Must. Must. Um, their, their testosterone skyrockets and they just become super aggressive and they're just like, I'm going to destroy everything I see. And it's very dangerous. And a lot of people have been killed by elephants because of this. Again, I love elephants. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying anybody should hurt elephants, but that does happen. Well, that's exactly the deal with bull sharks. Bull sharks, the males have territory and they have really high testosterone, insanely high testosterone. So when they see something that they deem to be interfering with their territory, which is pretty arbitrary compared to a lot of land animals, because at least with land animals, you can kind of see dividing lines. Maybe it's based on something. We don't really know how bull sharks claim territory, like where their dividing lines are. It's probably has something to do with electrical signals since sharks can sense that sort of thing. But if they see something in their territory, they just kill it. And that includes people. It's not a question of like taking a nibble. It's not a question of trying to get food. It's literally a question of there is something of a certain size in my territory shaped like a person. It's not getting out of this water alive. That's how they interact with people. And that's why they're the most dangerous shark in that context. So, yeah. And it gets scarier. Um, Remember when I mentioned that they were up in the Mississippi River as high as Illinois? And as high up the Ohio River, as high as Manchester, Ohio, and have even been seen in Maryland? Well, there's a reason for that. Uh, Hurricane Katrina actually displaced a lot of them. And so they decided, you know what? The ocean's pretty scary right now. What with this hurricane? Let's go upstream. (laughs) And that's seriously what happened. So something to consider. Uh, You know, maybe, maybe after a bad hurricane, it's better to just fish on the docks. Uh, if you can. Dang. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Could they be found in the Chattahoochee? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think there's ever been anyone seen, but I wouldn't be surprised. All right. I mean, I'm they and they're a lot. They're in a lot of places. They're a very cosmopolitan animal. They've been seen in the Amazon River. They've been seen in Peru. They've been seen in Bolivia. They've been seen in Australia. Unlike many other shark species that tend to be relegated to a very specific biome, they're kind of all over the place, and that's another reason why people. Uh, find them a little bit uh, intimidating. Uh, Where man a little goes, bit. Where man goes, bull shark goes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's wow. that's my take on uh, bull sharks. And uh, the other animal I'm going to be talking about is the black mamba, which is a very notorious snake. Um, no. Yeah, exactly. The black mamba is found in central and eastern sub-Saharan Africa. And it's really, really intimidating for a couple reasons. Two reasons, really. One, it's quite aggressive. <laughs> it, uh, whenever it encounters people, it tends to go at them rather than away. It's more of a fight than a flight kind of animal, which is very rare for any animal, even an animal that has venomous. Uh, and additionally, and this is you know the, what I hinted at with the word venomous, it has a very intense 
kind of neurotoxin. So much so that it's sort of become notorious as having a 100% mortality rate. That is to say, you don't call an ambulance, you call a priest when you get bitten by one. Now that is exaggerated, (laughs) as we will see. However, it does have a very intense cocktail of neurotoxins toxins that uh, usually cause symptoms in about 10 minutes and is quite fatal unless, and this is the key thing, it was 100% until about mm, 20 or 30 years ago when antivenom was finally, finally mm. produced for this very, very, very dangerous animal. How do they make the antivenoms? Oh, antivenom is generally what, what you do is you take the actual venom and from there you uh, actually create enzymes that counteract that venom. So in order to produce it, you actually need the venom, which means there actually have to be people willing to make a tremendous risk to their own well-being and acquire it by milking the snakes. Yeah, it happens. There's also a lot of money in it. There was a whole American Dad episode about it recently. It was really funny. But uh, Well, this is the thing, James. (laughs) I was just starting to get okay with snakes after watching Swamp People snake invasions. Uh And now you're making me backtrack on that. Uh I just looked up pictures of the Black Mamba, and there's something about their eyes that is just not natural. I I think they have very (laughs) pretty features, but I like snakes. Mm-mm. Yeah, you would like something that's dead inside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> um, here's here's some fun history about black mambas and their discovery by Westerners. I mean, obviously they were always known in you know Cameroon and Central African Republic and Congo, etc. But they, you know, everybody's familiar in terms of pop culture with Doctor Livingston, I presume. Well, yeah, Dr. Livingston. Yeah, well, Dr. Livingston and uh, John Kirk, another naturalist who's a little less sung, uh, they went on the second Zambezi expedition and they found the first ever sighted by a Westerner, Black Mamba, and they captured it. And I'm assuming they killed it because they preserved it. (laughs) And it's actually still in the Natural History Museum in London. And Hmm. from there, a uh, zoologist named Alf. Bert Gunther, who was born in Germany, as you can imagine, but actually was raised in culturally is more British than German. Um, he came up with the name. He taxonomically described it. He actually taxonomically described a lot of reptiles and fish. Uh, I think he actually described more reptiles and fish than anybody else in the world except for one other person. So very, very uh, prolific in his discovery and his taxonomy. But anyway, he decided to uh, name this creature Dendroaspis polylepis, which just means tree asp, dendro tree, aspis, asp, uh, poly, many, lepis, scales. So lots of scales, asp that lives in a tree. And in terms of what an asp is, uh, there's there's actually, you know what, I'm actually not even going to talk about that component of it because it's split in hairs, but they belong to the family Elapidae. That is the same family. Uh, that cobras are in. And almost all members of Elapidae use neurotoxins. And it's no exception, as I previously mentioned. So just a little heads up, if you're in the same family as a cobra, you're probably using neurotoxins, and that is quite dangerous because what neurotoxins do is they disrupt the ability of the body to send the electrical signals that are necessary to live. So 
that's why they're scary. They don't have uh, necrotoxins, so nothing that scary and gross. They don't have hematoxins, so nothing, there's no like chronic bleeding or anything repulsive. It's actually a very like non-scary looking way to die, but it's it's rather uncomfortable and it does kill people. So yeah. another thing about them that I think is kind of funny and scary at the same time is that they are usually more aggressive to people during their mating season. That's when they're like really riled up. Not unlike some of the other animals we've talked about, but this is what makes it funny. They're only, you know, very aggressive in their mating season, but their mating season is half the year. So (laughs) it's like a really long period. And there's something just comically funny about that. And another thing that's scary about them is they're big. They, uh, they actually grow to about six foot seven. So longer than the average person and they live about 11 years. So pretty good length of time as well. They lay eggs. And that is important to note because some snakes are oviviparous. They, they have eggs inside them, but then they give a live birth like garter snakes, for example. But black mamas are oviparous. They lay on average about half a dozen to little under 20 eggs. And, uh, yeah, that, that's the scary thing about them. What do they do? Like in terms of what, where does that venom go under normal circumstances? Why are they so venomous? We don't really have a good explanation for it just because a lot of animals are way more venomous than they would need to be logically because these animals do not bring down big things. They eat birds for the most part. That's like a big part of their diet. Rodents, bats, bush babies, the occasional hyrax, things of that nature. And if if you don't know, a hyrax is a cute little animal that uh, eats plants and they, they kind of remind me, sorry, I dropped my pen. I was playing with it. Um, they're, they're really <laughs> cute. They kind of remind me of uh, like if otters and uh, uh, what are those little animals in South America? Uh, the ones that need dust chinchilla? baths. Chinchilla. Yeah, there we go. They kind of remind me of like if an otter and a chinchilla had a baby. That's what hyraxes look like. So in other words, they don't uh-huh. eat very big things. They, they do tend to eat cute things. But uh, what they normally do is they will they will nip their prey, injecting venom. And then they actually let go. Very Most snakes don't do that. Most snakes will wrap around their prey. But they have such potent venom that uh, they just nip it All and let it go. All they have to do is bite. Yeah. yeah. And then the prey ultimately gets paralysis, dies. They go over to it, which is not very far. And then they eat them. And there are a few animals that are a little bit resistant to that venom. Honey badgers, big shock. Uh, mongoose, yeah. same kind of thing. And as such, some things do eat them. Um, yeah, cape file snakes, feline snakes, they, uh, will sometimes eat the younger ones. Mongooses, obviously mongooses eat like every dangerous snake. It's kind of nuts. Honey badgers, similarly, uh, crocodiles will occasionally eat them. Um, marshals, vultures, hornbills, one of my favorite animal hornbill. They're really interesting, but I'm not going to talk about them. So what's the deal with, uh, I, I said I would touch up on it. What's the deal with me talking about how it's not really 100%? Because that venom is potent. It, it causes symptoms within minutes, as I mentioned. People become paralyzed. They have trouble breathing. They have trouble swallowing. They have uh, no gag reflex. They get vertigo. They keep losing consciousness. Ultimately, what really does it them in is, as I mentioned, it's a neurotoxin. Well, it interrupts the signals for the diaphragm. So they become paralyzed in terms of breathing and they asphyxiate. That is the main way that humans die. It's like my octopus. Yeah. 
yeah, cardiovascular collapse and ultimately death. So here's the thing. How, huh? how quickly do you have to get the, uh, the anti-venom? Very, very quickly. I mean, symptoms happen in 10 minutes. Um, by and large, if you don't get treatment within an hour, you're, you're probably not going to make it. And here are some examples of this, of people both surviving and dying. One's really the most, the most notable instance of somebody dying in the modern era, despite we having um, this anti-venom, is in 2008, a, a safari guide in training, Nathan Layton. He was 28. He was bitten by a black mamba that had been found near his classroom in the South African Wildlife College in Hodesbrut. I might not be pronouncing that right. Um, it bit him on his finger while he was putting it in a jar, on his finger, a nip, right? He did not uh, think that he was bitten. He didn't notice. He thought it just rubbed up roughly against him, you know, all those scales, as I mentioned, polylepsis. Uh, um, well, an hour later, he still hadn't sought medical treatment. He had blurred vision and he died. Um, yeah, that was a very new instance. But some people have survived. So Danny Pinar, uh, he was bitten in 1998. The physicians said it was moderate, but he actually went into a coma. And they were like, oh, never mind. It's not moderate. He's going to die. Well, they put him on life support for three days, though. Day five, he actually was released and survived. But mm. the doctors say that had he not been as calm as he was when he was bitten, you know, in other words, gotten his heart rate up, panicking, he would have died. And if he hadn't applied a tourniquet immediately, again, this dude was just very chill about the whole thing. Very cool-headed. <laughs> Um, that's really what allowed him to survive. Another example, 2016, a Kenyan woman whose name I can't pronounce. My apologies, Kenya. I, I'm not even going to try because I'm just going to offend anybody because I can't pronounce it. She was bitten repeatedly on the leg in Kenya. And people showed up, helped her. They drove the snake off and uh, actually killed two of them with a machete. There were three of them, I should probably mention. Um, they tried to use traditional medicine, but they did not work. So they took her to a motor, on a motorcycle ride to the hospital, which was a 45-minute drive. The hospital had anti-venom, and she made it. So that one's kind of impressive because she was actually attacked by three of them and still managed to survive thanks to modern anti-venom. So how cool is that? Jeez Louise. Yeah. Really cool. Another famous uh, death was actually an uh, anti-apartheid activist. Anton Steenkamp, again, this is sort of like a local celebrity in South Africa. He was bitten by a black mamba in 2019. He was hours away from medical help and he died. Oh. Yeah. But this is the one that I was saving for last because I find it the most interesting. There was a photographer from America named Mark Leda, and he was bitten on the leg by a black mamba during a photo shoot of that black mamba. In Central America. So this was not in Africa. They're actually, they have a captive subject and they're taking pictures of it. Well, it bites him on the leg. He didn't think it bit him. Or more accurately, he thought it was a dry bite. And as a tarantula keeper, I'm very familiar with dry bites. That's when a tarantula bites without injecting venom. Same thing applies to snakes. Sometimes snakes do this. Black mambas don't really do this. So he was wrong. But... He didn't get medical treatment, and he somehow survived. So that's the mystery here. How did he survive without medical treatment? That doesn't make sense. So one, he says, well, maybe it was a drive-by. Well, no, I don't think so at all. 
His, his other theory is maybe because he bled so much, it actually pushed the venom out, in which case, good for him for having high blood pressure, I guess. I don't see that being the case either. This is the one he says did, couldn't have been the case, but I'm more inclined to think so, which is that, again, this was in a Central American facility and they had him take pictures. I'm more inclined to think that the venom glands were removed and only a trace amount of venom got in them. And I'm talking trace because 30 milligrams per kilogram of a person will kill you. And the average bite has a hundred milligrams. So it's, it's going to kill you or uh, sorry, three milligrams and it has a hundred milligrams. So I don't believe that for a second. I think it's more likely that they removed the venom glands because he had intense pain and local swelling and that's it. That's it that I don't, that's just insane. So that's the most notable case for me, just because we don't really know what went on there. Either that or he's a superhero and he just doesn't know it. He's like flipping Bruce Willis. Or fourth option, okay. the power of positive thought, James. There we go. <laughs> he's like, eh, it's going to be okay. And then it was. There we go. That We solved it. <laughs> we solved it. Okay. Is it my turn? Yep. Chartreuse okay, is climbing yeah. the wall. Chartreuses? Did you leave your your uh, lovelies in your office? Uh, yeah. Still uh, is this their new home? Basically. Yeah. It's because it's warmer in there, Alex. Yep. Okay. So let me find where I'm going. So, okay. I'll be honest because doing this research for this episode made me feel like I was back in fourth grade doing a report for science class. <laughs> and I was a big science nerdette all through my grade school years. So this was a fun episode to look into, Rock and Rick. So anyways, my sources today, history.com, lifescience.com. I made use of my National Geographic subscription, which always warms my heart, and then the BBC. So today I will be talking about, drumroll Alex, <laughs> the saltwater crocodile, mm. and then also flute roll Alex. <laughs> Oh, so we're talking about the box jellyfish. Mm. And these are two particularly fearsome creatures that I pray you, listener, never come face to face with. Because if you do, ouch. Well, and you'll be disappointed because the box jellyfish does not have a face. (laughs) By me, yeah, that's true. (laughs) Okay, so first I'm going to talk about the box jellyfish. You're right, it doesn't have a face. They do have eyes, though, so you just be quiet. Yeah. You don't know anything about box jellyfish. I'm an expert (laughs) right now. Um, Box jellyfish. I had heard that these were, like, horrifying through the grapevine. Like, they're terribly dangerous. But I didn't realize how dangerous until I dove into this topic, which was submitted to me by Sir James. James was like, Cece, I think you would like talking about the box jellyfish. (laughs) So here I am. So, anyways... Box jellyfish, there are tons of different species. They're like 50-51. And they're all around the world, though they're primarily found living off the coast of northern Australia and throughout the Indo-Pacific. And they have a cube-like appearance, henceforth why they're called box jellies. And to make these things even scarier, most jellyfish just kind of drift wherever the, the currents of the ocean take them. But box jellies can actually swim. So they can move themselves and they have a cluster of very advanced eyes, Alex. I think it was like 24 eyes so that they can like see, oh, there's something that's underneath me. I don't want to touch it. I'm going to go above it. And so they'll swim and navigate around it, Mm. which is crazy. That's crazy. But their tentacles have these little things on them called 
Snidosis. Is that how you say it, James? Snidosists? I think you're right. Um, but they have these little darts that shoot out like the jellyfish venom. So when a box jelly gets oh, you, it gets Oh, wait nasty. a minute, wait a minute. Nidocytes? Is that what you're talking about? Not as, yeah, fine, James. Is that how you say it? <laughs> yeah, I think so. You're talking about stinging cells, right? The, I'm talking about the snidocysts. Nidocytes. Nidocytes. Jeez Louise. <laughs> so anyways, they get their little nasty tentacle on you. They sting you with the little dart and it like shoots the poison uh, yeah. into your bloodstream. And then your blood pressure spikes and your heart stops. You have like a heart attack and then you're dead. Yep. So it's not good. But a fun fact, you guys. Did you know that a group of jellyfish is called a flutter or a smack? That's awesome. I did not. I think that's awesome. I'd never heard that before. But I remember once when this is – I I just remembered this. I went to Hampton Beach with my dear bestie for the restie, Amy. We went to Boston one day and the harbor was just filled with jellyfish. So they weren't box jellies, but – I saw, you guys, a smack of jellyfish. Now I'm thinking about it. Anyways, uh, the box jellies, though, they can grow to be up to 10 feet long. And the bigger they are, the more dangerous they're said to be because, obviously, they're going to have more of those little tentacle darts. So stay away from the big ones. Mm. But their venom is said to be so painful that, as I said earlier, it can stop your heart. But some victims will go into shock because it's hurt so much and then drown. So if you do happen to survive the encounter, because people have survived run-ins with box jellies, victims can actually encounter serious pain for weeks after the attack. So it's not something that like it just happens. If you survive, good, I'm fine now. No, it's like, oh, I survived and now I have to deal with pain for the next three months. So um, as for how many people perish at the tentacles of the box jellyfish area, the number is actually really hard to gauge. As Alex said with the hippos, it's kind of hard to know just because they don't put box jellyfish as cause of death on the death certificate. So the number is, it's hard to gauge. It's believed to be between 50 to 100 people per year, though some 20 to 40 deaths are said to take place in the Philippines alone. So anyways, so that's that's the uh, the box jellyfish. So that's why you gave them a shout out at the beginning. Maybe. Maybe I just had the Philippines on my heart. Maybe. So anyways... The box jellies are out there, guys. It makes me, along with Alex's little blue ringed octopus, make me never want to step foot in the ocean again. Mm, but yeah. also, what about the bull shark? They'll hunt you down and chow on you. <laughs> the bull shark makes me not want to take a step in a river. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know what else makes me not want to take a step in a river? What? The saltwater crocodile. Scientific oh. name: Crocodilus porosus. I think that's how you say it. Yep. But clearly, by just looking at a crocodile, you should know that you want to steer clear of these things. Yeah. (laughs) They've got those big mouths with all those sharp teeth and they're jagged and stuff. And crocodiles are also kind of like weirdly beautiful. You know what I mean? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. They're like modern day dinos, which is really cool. But here's something I remember learning at a zoo once years ago, but then quickly forgot. Alex. How do you know the difference between an alligator and a crocodile? Head shape. Oh my gosh, how'd you know that? Because I know alligators are crocodiles. Oh my gosh. Okay, well, according to Googster, you guys, and apparently <laughs> Alex too, alligators have a wider U-shaped snout, while crocodiles have a V-shaped snout. Mm-hmm. And yeah. alligators actually have a greater bite strength just because of the shape of their mouths. Like they have more, like they can be more forceful with it, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then. 
also the size. There's a size difference. So I bet you didn't know that, Alex. Mm -hmm. But gators, they typically can grow up to be 14 feet in length. And crocs can grow up to be 19 feet in length. So I tried to find something because I like. Which one can get fatter? Probably an alligator. I was going to say, I've seen fat alligators. I've not seen a fat croc. Yeah, I have to. (laughs) So I tried to come up with something to create a visualization of how big and how like long a crocodile can get because I am not a very I can't picture things visually when it comes to like space. Well if someone says five feet you're like I don't know what that is. Yeah I know I'm like I'm five, five I don't know what it is. But so I tried to come up with something and a refrigerator like ours is usually six feet tall. So picture three of our refrigerators on top yeah, of one another. Everyone at home, I know you know what our refrigerator looks like. It's the standard picture size three, yeah. <laughs> standard size of a regular refrigerator. Yeah, it it can be your standard. refrigerator at home, dear listener. <clears throat> but picture three of those stacked what on if top of one another. They only have one of those little refrigerators. That's a t- that's called a baby crocodile. <laughs> <laughs> so crocs can usually be found in tropical locations, primarily Africa, like in the Nile. Or in Asia. And some of them can actually be found, I think, in, in uh, well, the Americas. Uh, I didn't realize that they can actually be found in America because I just thought that America was like gator land. But in Florida, south of Miami in the saltwater marshes, you can actually find a crocodile. Huh, which I didn't that. realize. Yeah. Um, they tend to be very reclusive, though, whereas gators are like all over the place because they just really don't give an F like what they do. Yeah. Alligators are like... This is where I'm at. If you want to cross me, that's cool. I'll eat you. But then crocs are like people gross. And then they retreat. So they go and hide. So I found a really great article from BBC about alligator attacks. Um, Because did you guys know, like we had James over here talk about how like sharks can attack people. Yep. And I even know somebody who's attacked by shark. I don't know anybody who's been attacked by a crocodile. But crocodiles actually attack more people per year than sharks. Take that, sharks. Yeah, in Africa alone, there are usually several hundred attacks every year, and almost most of them are fatal. But they actually have protocols. Like, people who live near crocodiles have protocols for when they can go in the water. And uh, if it's hotter outside, and I think the temperature was like 19 degrees Celsius, which is about 66 to 67 degrees Fahrenheit outside – if it's that warm, stay out of the water because crocs are more active when it's warmer. And crocs are opportunistic hunters, you guys. So if they see anything moving, it's fair game. They're like, I'm going to eat that. And in Africa, the BBC says that men are attacked when fishing. Uh, boys and children, sadly, tend to be attacked the most just because they're smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, so they might get attacked when they're swimming. And then women who have to... Uh, like cross rivers or do chores and laundry and stuff like that. That's usually when those attacks happen. They say that if you do have to go into a river or a body of water where crocodiles might be present, cross quietly and without splashing because that actually catches the crocodile's attention. And they're like, oh, there's food. I'm going to eat it. I feel like we should, someone needs to go build a bridge. Well, yeah, maybe. Maybe a humanitarian effort if it's not available. I don't Well, so, like some people, it's not the BBC article that I read. It, the person who was talking about crocodiles used to live in an area with crocodiles. And it's just not possible for some people to stay away from the bodies of water just because that's where their livelihood is. Yeah, that's true. And you so, have to maintain bridges. And 
So just an interesting yet horrifying croc story per history.com. Let me set the scene, you guys, okay? It's January 1945. World War II is raging, and the Imperial Army is trying to retake, I think it's called Ramry from the Japanese. But they get into a tight spot, and they have to retreat. Some 1,000 soldiers have to navigate through the mangrove swamps to safety. Can you guys guess how many soldiers are estimated to have survived the night? A thousand go out. A thousand. For a night? Yes. How many survived? I feel like I've heard this story before, and it's like shockingly few. Guess. Take a wild guess, baby. 200. 200. James, what's your guess? Hmm. 201. 201. <laughs> you guys have both wildly overguessed. The estimation is that t- just 20 soldiers survived the night. Wow. Yes. Horrifying. So crocodiles, you don't want to cross a crocodile, you guys. And here's info that I think most people would want to know. What do you do if a croc starts chasing or gets a hold of you, okay? Trip the person next to you. (laughs) Don't you dare do that, Alex. (laughs) Okay, one, if it just spots you or it snaps at you and doesn't catch you, run away as fast as you can in a straight line. Straight line? It is a myth that you're supposed to run in a zigzag pattern, which is what I was always told. You're actually supposed to run in a straight line. I think that it said that crocodiles can run like between 10 to 20 miles per hour on land, but you're going to want to run as fast as you can. Two, if a crocodile actually nabs you, number one, I'm sorry because it's going to hurt like hell. And two, poke them in the eyes if you can, because the eyes are the most vulnerable part of a crocodile's it's body. It's thing for shark attacks. Poke it yeah, in the eyes. Yeah, I was going to say, is poke them in the eyes, the nose, or the gill slits. Uh, the nose is yeah, actually the most sensitive part of a, a shark. The eyes are said to be the most vulnerable part of a, a croc. And there it was actually a recorded incident where a woman had her arm bitten and she poked the crocodile with her, her in the eye and it let her go. So hmm. just a tip there. If a crocodile gets you and tries to do a death roll, which is when a it'll try to turn you over into the water and drown you. So if that happens, they say you should fight like hell. Give it all you've got because at this point, that's all you can really do. Like, that's all you can really do. And according to History.com, a woman, she was in a canoe in Australia in 1985. Her name was Val Plumwood, which, what an amazing name. Um, So Val, she got bit by a croc, and it started to try to do these death rolls. It tried to do it three times, and she just fought the heck out of it. (sighs) And she survived. And she ended up using her torn clothes after she crawled up onto the muddy banks as tourniquets for her wounds, and she survived. Well, awesome. So, She's yeah, awesome. <laughs> I know. And then if you don't think you'll be able to fight, you're like, okay, this thing's got me. I don't think I'm, I'm going to be able to fight it. You might need to just realize you're going to have to sacrifice a limb. And a man named Rudy Francis did this in Malaysia in 2017. And he's an ecologist and he was feeding crocodiles at a farm. And so hmm. he was feeding them and then, one got a hold of him and he knew in order to survive one, I have to hug this thing so that the crocodile, like I can be as close to it. So it can't get a hold of any other part of my body and I can avoid its head and its tail. So he hugged onto it, but he knew that he wasn't going to be able to make it out. So his coworkers are like, what do we do? What do we do? And he was like, just let him have my leg. Just had him, let him have my calf. And so they got him away. He lost his calf, but he survived to tell the tale. Wow. So you guys at the end of the day, just stay away from crocodiles. It's not worth it. 
Yeah, and there's this video that came out of a woman that she had her flip-flops. I think this was in Australia, too. She had a crocodile that was approaching her. She took her flip-flops, and she just started banging her flip-flops to get get it away from her. Crocodiles don't care if you're being loud. Crocodiles are like, I'm going to eat you. She survived. She got very lucky. <laughs> she got very lucky. But most crocodiles will be like, oh, I get to eat a person and a pair of foam flip-flops. So Nice. They'll go after anything that moves. They use their tails to actually propel themselves forward. And so if you have limbs hanging over a boat or a water and you know that you're in water that might have a crocodile in it, you're fair game, you know? In that croc's brain, it's like, oh, I've got a meal right here. I see this person. Like, they've been known to propel themselves onto, like, boats and stuff to eat people. Wow. So don't mess with the crocodiles, you guys. (laughs) You guys, that is the crocodile. As, as with Alex is, like, Alex, you were over here talking about how the hippo can stay underwater for five minutes. Yeah, no, I'm just saying for a mammal of that size, it's kind of impressive. That Crocodiles can stay in the water for an hour. He's not a manatee or anything like that. And he's not a crocodile. Like, crocodile, I'm like, yeah, you better be underwater for a while. You know? Crocodiles he looks are like... like he, he lives in the water. Hippos, they gotta get out at nighttime. They gotta go eat. Grass, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> so, you guys, that's the hippo, the blue ringed octopus, the bull shark, the black mamba, the saltwater crocky, and the box jelly. Nice. That was fun. Jeez Louise, you guys. That was, that was a long one. Which one yeah. do you think is the scariest? Mm, I mean, for- uh, the bull shark. For me, it's the, the black mamba snake. Uh, that's funny. For me, it's the uh, box jelly. Wow, you guys like all you have to do to avoid the bull shark and the black and the and the box jelly is stay on the water. All you have to do to avoid the black mamba is stay on arid areas. Hmm. No, I think no. what scares me about the box <laughs> jelly is that it's not even aware it it killed you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. It's not really that's thinking true. about it. I think it is. I think that box jellies are a lot smarter than all of us think they are. And it's just like. (laughs) Well, and then the, see the bull shark, you won't even see it coming. It's going to get you. Yeah. My friend didn't see it coming. (laughs) Anyways, you guys, that is our first dangerous animals episode. Again, thank you to rock and Rick for sending that in. Is it time? To draw from Zavaz? Oh, it's right next to me. It is. I set it up. All right, Alex. We've got one of Gwen's hair ties in there. Pull one out, and then let's shout with a hip, hip, hooray. Okay, so this was submitted to us by Alan T., and he wants us to talk about the Uncanny Valley, which I don't know what that is. That's like what is that? something uh. that looks human, but there's something off about it a lot of times. It's like exactly. kind of soulless looking. Usually like a robot. Like, yeah, as something approaches looking human but falls short of it, it frightens us. It's why... For example, a sand dollar is not scary at all. It doesn't resemble a human at all. But a marionette can be intimidating because it looks very human. Uh, and yet we also know in the recesses of our mind that it, it's not. I do not like marionettes, James. So yeah, like, I do not thank you for that. You know when you, you see like a robot and you're like, and, and it's got like, that, like the realistic robot. Like Sophia. And, like Sophia. And you're like, that thing's horrifying. Uncanny Valley. Because mm. okay. like, it looks too close like, like us. All right, you guys, so we're talking about the Uncanny Valley next week. Alan, thank you so much for submitting that topic. Do you want to hear some fun facts about Alan, you guys? Yes. Let me pull up my notes again. Yes. Okay, all right, so here are Alan's 
Fun facts. Mm. Once had a panic attack on a hot air balloon. <laughs> Sounds horrifying. He also won a blue ribbon at his state fair with his granny's homemade peppermint buttermilk custard pie. <laughs> that was a mouthful. <laughs> the, the pie, what? that is. Doesn't that sound... <laughs> that sounds... Incredible. Lovely, yeah. Alan. Yeah, way to go, Alan, with your custard pie. He took a picture with his blue ribbon and he was oh, like, look he? what I got, Mom. Did he? Did he? <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, so that's that's uh, Alan, you guys. Um, if you have a topic you want to submit, you can send it to us on Instagram or on our website, 13floorpodcast.com. Alex, who does our music? Our music is by Grant Cook. You can find it on Spotify, Amazon Music, iTunes, anywhere you listen to music. So until next week, you guys, we hope that you can keep keep it straight. Good job. Let's keep it strange in Swahili for our kids. Oh, I love it. I was wondering why you were.